Today we are going to be talking about walking into the great unknown of the future, especially as it relates to changes in our lives. I was in my early 20s, and I had just finished up school uh, with the Carpenter's Apprentice School in Chicago, and I had some previous construction experience, but I began what was going to be a very difficult task, landing my first job as a union carpenter. And they had told me about how to do this in the carpenter school, and they said, you know, when you want to go find a job, what you need to do is you need to uh, grab your tools and go downtown, and you walk from job site to job site, and you look for, you ask for the carpenter foreman and ask them if they are hiring. And you, and you go onto the job site, past the fence, yes, past the fence, and they said, you know, this is trespassing. Don't tell them I said to trespass, but this is how you find a job, and, and this is what you do. I, it sounds crazy, but this is what I did, like they told me to. I went downtown, and I had done it for, you know, several days, actually, at this point. And let me tell you, carrying a 30-pound bag of tools and walking from job site to job site downtown, it is not a very enjoyable experience. It's 6 to 7 in the morning. That's your, that's your window span of when you can get hired. And so that's, that's when you're doing this. It's not very enjoyable. And I'll tell you, walking past those big no trespassing signs is not very comfortable. That's not a comfortable feeling. You know, and there's these big trucks and... Huge buildings, you know, 50-story buildings. Some people would say, we'd go up to somebody, some people would, I would go up to somebody, and some people would say, we don't hire off the site. You have to apply at the office. Some people would say, we're laying off, guys. We can't hire you. And then some people would say, how did you get up here? <laughs> well, it was 7 o'clock. And there was this one site by the lake that I hadn't hit yet. And, you know, at 7 o'clock, you're a little bit late for, for the window. People are starting to head up the, the building. And it was a smaller building. It was, at that point, it was only 11 stories high. And I thought to myself, this does not look very promising to me. This is a long shot. But I decided, you know what, this will be my last stop for the day, and then I'll go home. I walked into the trailer, and there's a lot of people in this, like, you know, it's, mobile, it's a mobile trailer thing. And I walked in there, and there's a lot of people standing around, and I'm like, who do I talk to? And there's this receptionist. I go up to the receptionist, and I say, I give her my line. Hi, I'm a carpenter looking for work, and I was wondering if you guys are hiring. Talk to him. I go over to the guy. Hi, I'm a carpenter looking for work. I was wondering if you guys are hiring. <laughs> I said it 50 times that day. And, uh, and so he looks at me. What year are you? I'm a first-year apprentice. Do you have your tools with you? I say, yeah, I got them right here. This huge bag hanging from my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're hiring. Give your info to the lady. We're going to head up in a couple minutes. That's seriously how he talked to me. (laughs) They gave me a harness and a lifeline that was supposed to keep me from, save my life if I fell off the building. And before long, I found myself on the 10th floor of a high-rise building in a completely unknown world. There was scaffolding everywhere. I'd been involved in construction, but I'd never seen so much scaffolding in my life. I'd never worked with scaffolding. There were safety rails, but I was still scared to death to get within five feet of those safety rails. (laughs) Who knows who put those up? And I wondered to myself... They paired me up with this journeyman, and I, and I wondered to myself, do I have the right tools for the job? 
You know, what, what things do I need to know here? You know, people were speaking Spanish, and, and I saw some really scary-looking people as we headed up the building, and I thought, how rough is this environment going to be? Have you ever entered into a new world, a new environment, a new chapter in your life, and it just feels like you are entering into this unknown, great unknown world? Maybe you've recently entered into marriage, and you're just wondering, oof, how's this going to work out? I've heard some horror stories about what marriage is like. How's this going to go? Maybe you've just had your first child, and you're in awe, and you're just in love with this child, and you just, and then it hits you. And you're like, I'm responsible for this child. And the fears and the burden of parenting, they just kind of wash over you, and you're like, oh my goodness, Maybe something has happened in your life where your health has gone downhill. And you're going to start being more dependent on other people. And that's not who you are. You've been independent all your life. You're not used to being dependent on other people. And you don't like this new unknown. It's a new school year. How tough is this new new class going to be when we really start getting into the new uh, the, the real tests and the real work of this much harder subject. Maybe it's new employment and you just feel like you got a ton of things to get used to. How do you na- navigate transitions in your life where you are walking into an environment or a chapter of your life where you just simply don't know how it's going to go? What should be the guiding principles that keep you from making mistakes? What things can you do to set yourself up for success. How do you deal with all the fears that are going through your mind right now? The what ifs, what if this, what if that? How do you deal with that? To get some wisdom for these situations, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 11. And if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. We're going to have the verses on the screen, but that's where we're going to be. And we're actually going to be looking at all of Deuteronomy, but I chose Deuteronomy 11 as a focal passage. And I'm going to be drawing some applications this morning for us personally, And then I'm also going to be drawing some applications for the church uh, more generally. Deuteronomy 11. So here's what is happening. Moses knew that his time had come. God had made it clear that Moses was soon going to die. And so he gathers the Israelite leaders together. You know, there's there's like a million people in Israel, so he can't gather the entire Israel. So he gathers the leaders of the clan. They distribute the information. And he gathers them together, and this is what the book of Deuteronomy is, in case you didn't know that. Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to the people of Israel. If you take a look at Deuteronomy, you'll notice that it it turns out Moses had a lot to say. It's like 34 chapters long, and I did the math on this. He preached to them for at least four hours. Four hours. Don't worry, I don't have that much to say today. (laughs) But Moses... He takes his time. In fact, he takes his time so slowly that he essentially retells the entire story of his history with this group of people. And he tells it in detail. He tells the story about the Ten Commandments. He tells the story about the golden calf, the bitter waters of Meribah, the manna, the clouds by day, the fires by night, the plagues in Egypt. He tells it all. And then he tells it, some of me tells it twice. Uh, The people had heard these stories before. But it was important to retell them because the stories of God's work among us provides the strength we need 
when we are heading into the unknown. When you're walking into the unknown, this is our first principle. When we are walking into the unknown, you need to strengthen yourself on the memories of what God has already done. Strengthen yourself on the memories of what God has already done. The Israelite people had already scoped out this land that they're about to head into. The report back was clear. The people in the land are giants. They are much bigger people than we are, and there are a lot of them. We have little hope of defeating them. And yet, God was saying that they should go into this land, that they would go into battle, and that they would defeat these people, these giant people. You may be facing some giants in your life right now. Maybe you're facing a battle with mental illness, and it just feels like it is a giant. You have no idea how to fight this battle. Maybe your, maybe your marriage struggles feel like a gigantic problem with no clear solution. You may be facing financial ruin. That debt number is just this giant thing in your life. It's all you can think about. Or an addiction. And yet you know that God is calling you to face this giant. And he's promising, he's promising that you will overcome by his power. But you know in your heart that this, 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 this battle is something you have never faced before. You don't know how to navigate the problems, the pitfalls, and you're not sure that success is on the other side. And with all the unknowns, your heart just is filled with fear, and it can be paralyzing and crippling. It can just stop you from doing anything productive, the fears. But God is calling you to walk this path. It's clear. You know it's the right thing, but you have no courage. This is where the Israelites were. They had already experienced defeat. They actually fought them already before, and they had lost miserably. The the Amalekites and the Canaanites, staggering defeat. What was going to be different this time? The difference was supposed to be God, but can 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 you commiserate a little bit that their faith was a little shaky? Into their situation, Moses says this, Deuteronomy 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 2. This is what he says. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced this discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed, and the things he did in Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to the whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened up its mouth right in the middle of Israel and swallowed them all up with their whole households, their tents, every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done. Moses reminds them they have already seen the power of God. And those memories should strengthen them for the task ahead of them. And so for you, what has God done in your life already? What is, what's that? Do you remember that miraculous, that incredible thing that he did in your life? Do you remember where you've come from? Because you saw his power with your own eyes. There was something that you didn't you believed it could not never happen. And yet it happened. It changed. Your life changed. He did it then. He will do it again. Now some of you may be saying, looking at your life and be saying, I don't have any stories like that. 
Well, lean on the stories of those who do because there are a lot of stories in this room right now. Other people have gone before you. They have experienced the power of God. Listen to their stories. Ask them about their stories. Let them tell you where God has taken them. And don't be skeptical about the miracles that have happened in other people's lives. Have some faith that God can really do that same sort of miracle in your life too, because he can. Church, the task of carrying the gospel into our community, sometimes it feels daunting, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like we work so hard just to see one person turn around their lives. And then, and then they, they go back. They turn around. They stop following God. It's discouraging. We hear of churches that carry a wealth-based version of the gospel and how lots of people are interested in them. And it's discouraging. We as the church carry the most important mission in the world on our shoulders. And I'll tell you, sometimes it feels like, I don't know if you feel this way, but it feels like we're not quite up to the task. When you hear bad news, it can be discouraging. But when I look out at your faces... When I look out at your faces, I can see that over time, we are being fruitful. We are being fruitful. The big picture, you know, there's little, we, we sometimes see this little picture, but the big picture, the big story, the reality is clear. We are changing lives. I'm looking at changed lives. I look at you guys sometimes, I think each person's story, wow, that's a lot of stories. That's a lot of change. That's a lot of miracles. That's what I see when I look out at you guys. We are changing lives. There is good stuff happening. Moses said this, Deuteronomy 7, he says, You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them, Moses said. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have been perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. According to the most recent census, there's over 100,000 people, 100,000 people in Lincoln County who still do not know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that number is growing both percentage-wise as a, as a percentage of the total population and as a numerical number. And sometimes people turn away from faith. But God is still rescuing people today. Our work matters now more than ever, and we need to remember that he will make it happen despite us, despite the challenges. We have an irresistible message, and there's a lot of people who just haven't heard it yet, or at least they haven't heard it the way we tell it. They haven't heard it so they can understand it. We need strength and courage to invite people to church. We need strength to sacrifice in service to this all-important mission, the most important mission in the world. We need strength to stay hopeful 
We need strength to stay focused. Let's remember what God has done. And let's let that fuel our hearts for the task ahead. He is a great and awesome God. We're not doing this alone. Strengthen yourself on the memories of what God has already done in your life, in the lives of the people around you. The second thing we need to do when we're heading into the great unknown is we need to know our biggest weaknesses. We need to set up boundaries and we need to guard our hearts. Moses is preaching to the people. He's been preaching for hours. And so you, you, you kind of got to have a little, cut him a little slack, but uh, you can hardly blame him. But he starts repeating himself. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever read the book of Deuteronomy and you just couldn't take it, you're like, oh, this is horrible. I can't wait to get out of this book. You probably didn't like Moses' repetition. He says a lot of things over and over again. Well, like a good leader, Moses keeps hammering the same point over and over and over again. Because he wants to make absolutely sure that the people don't forget it. This is what his main point is. This is what he says so many times. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. This is what he says. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so there will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the, Lord, from the land the Lord your God is giving you. Don't worship the other gods. Don't set up any idols. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship the other gods. There is a principle here, and the principle is this. Know your biggest weakness. Moses knew that the worship of other gods was the single greatest temptation that the the Israelites were facing. He knew, you see, the thing is, they'd never been able to get, wrap their minds around this idea of an invisible God who, uh, who doesn't want you to make any statues of him, and he doesn't need you to give him these, these uh, sacrifices, like, he doesn't need to eat, because a lot of them thought, oh, you, you sacrificed the thing on the altar because so, the God is hungry and he needs to eat. He doesn't need anything from you, he's invisible, don't put a little statue and bow down to that, he doesn't need anything from you. It was totally different, and all the countries around them thought it was weird. And because they were used to the way everyone else worshipped, the way they used to worship, with statues and lots of gods, lots of different gods, one for the fields, one for the, the rain, they kept struggling with this temptation to go back. But worshipping other gods was the single greatest threat to the whole enterprise. Because if they continued to worship other gods, the one true God was not going to bless them. Now, I've been around in your guys' houses. I don't think there's a lot of people in here who have little statues set up in your house. I don't think that is, that is a temptation for you. Uh, it's not a weakness in our lives. You know, I could talk about the idols of money and popularity, success. We could go that route this morning, but I'm going to go a different route this, this morning. I think it's noteworthy that as Moses is leading the people into the great unknown of the land of Canaan, he highlights their greatest weakness, and he, hit it, he hits it a hundred times in his sermon because he wants them to set up some boundaries and to guard their hearts against, against the most likely cause of their demise. In your life, there is going to be some weakness that threatens to ruin everything God has done for you. 
It threatens to undo his good work. It could make a wreck of the whole situation. It might be one of those contemporary idols like money or success, but it also might be just that habit that you've let run away. It could be a problem in one of your relationships. It could be your your credit card debts. It could be how isolated you are from encouraging friendships. When you are heading into the great unknown, you need to know what your weak spot is. Moses tells the people to set up some boundaries too. Check out what he says, Deuteronomy 7. So this is what he says. He says, when you take over all those other countries and you got all these idols around, you don't know what to do with them, you're going to burn them. This is what, well, here, let's, let's see what he says. This is what you should do. The image of their gods, you should burn in the fire. Don't even touch it. Wait, let's see. No, he says, sorry, I missed, I missed a line in my notes. Don't covet the silver and gold on them and do not take it for yourselves or you will be ensnared by it. For it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house or like it, you will be set apart for destruction, regarded as vile and utterly detest it. He's saying, set up a boundary. Protect your heart. When you burn that statue, there's going to be this big old chunk of gold in the fire pit. Don't even touch it. Don't bring it into your house. Don't look at it. You should hate that gold because it's stuff like that that gets you back into idol worship. You bring it into your house, you make a decoration out of it, you think that's harmless, and then you remember that it used to be a part of that idol, and it starts tempting you, you think, well, maybe there's spiritual power in it still, and you are tempted to use it for idol worship. It was a vulnerable weakness in their lives, and Moses telling them to set up some boundaries to protect themselves. Do you know what your greatest weakness is? Have you set up a boundary? Are you guarding your heart, watching your desires? This applies to the church too. For 2,000 years, the church has had one weakness that threatens to undermine everything we do. It threatens to undo all of our good work. It threatens to make a wreck of us. And in some periods of the church's history, it has made a wreck of us. Do you know what it is? Our weakness is conflict. Fortunately, the apostles saw it coming, and so did Jesus, and so they got a lot of things to say about it in the writings they left us. Here's one of those passages. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Check this out. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in everything that you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. There is an evil force in this world working against our mission, and it is the person of Satan. As Christians, we believe that Satan is a real person, a real spiritual force in our world. Now, because God is with us as the church, Satan cannot overpower us. He cannot destroy us. That is, that is outside of his ability because God is with us. So as a group, what he usually tries to do is he tries to disrupt our effectiveness. And he does this by prodding at the weaknesses in our lives in the area of conflict. Now, some of you are going to be concerned as I'm getting into this 
that I'm talking about conflict because of a conflict you are in right now. You might be concerned that this is a little sermonette directed right towards you, and I just want to be clear here that that is not what is going on. This, this is sincerely where the passage led me this morning. And I, and I also want to encourage you, you know, trust me, yours is not the only conflict in the church. You know, you know that's, this is where the passage led me. This is the weakness of the church. It's, it's a weakness not just of our church, of lots of churches, all the churches, the church universal, you know, pastors talk to, an, to each other. The church down the road, they have just as much conflict. Uh, trust me. Disagreement is part of living in community. And disagreement turned bad is our collective weak spot as people who are trying to follow Jesus in Christian community. So I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about Christian community. Let's make that clear. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus said that. Abraham Lincoln got it from Jesus. (laughs) Satan has been using this principle against us for 2,000 years, and it has worked wonders for him. He must love it. Imagine how more effective we could be if there weren't this Catholic and Protestant thing, if there weren't all these denominations, The church universal throughout history has let Satan win a lot of battles in this area. But we, we don't don't need to let him win the battles here. That's up to us whether we let him win those battles in our church. We are doing great work, church. We are seeing lives changed. But we need to know our weaknesses as Christians who are living in community. We need to set some boundaries. We need to guard our hearts. When you are in conflict, whether it's your marriage or someone in the church or a friend or at work, you need to ask yourself this. How might Satan be influencing me, influencing me, to make this conflict worse? How might Satan be influencing them to make this conflict worse? How might he be stirring up fears in my heart that are just unfounded? How might he be sowing lies that are destructive in their life, in my life? Because that's what he does. He's very good at it. Disagreement between people is going to happen in life, but we don't have to let these disagreements stoke the fires of our emotions and our passions in such a way that it leads us to doing things that are not good, things that are displeasing to God. We do things like assuming the worst of other people's intentions. We do things like thinking negative thoughts about someone else. We do things like not listening carefully to what the other person is trying to say. We do all sorts of things. We do, we do these things. I do these things. There are things that are wrong to do in conflict. We should not hit people in conflict. <laughs> Hopefully that goes without saying. We should not verbally attack each other in conflict. We should not be sarcastic and make fun of people in conflict. We should not have a bad attitude in conflict. But when the passions of our souls rise up in the midst of disagreement, it is so easy, so easy, isn't it, to just throw the rules out the window and let our passions fly. But our passions and our emotions don't change right and wrong. We have to put up some boundaries to help ourselves Because we are weak at this. 
When I'm in conflict with someone, I struggle think, to think negative thoughts about them. You know, I'm just going to be honest here. Can you identify with this? Maybe, maybe you can identify with this. You've got these negative thoughts that are deeply and profoundly negative. They may be thoughts and not actions, but they are still displeasing to God. And so I work hard to catch these thoughts, and I, set up, I try to set up a wall in my mind. No negative thoughts about the other person. Like it's a rule, especially when I'm in conflict. Only positive thoughts. It must be positive. Only assuming the best of their intentions. I do, I, I do my best at this. You know, it doesn't work all the time because there, I have sinful tendencies that push me the other way. But I find that this helps me. My parents tra- taught me early on, and I hope yours taught you too, don't hit when you're in conflict. It's a boundary. No matter how I feel, I know this one thing is off limits. It's helped me. It's helped me a lot. <laughs> Moses set up some boundaries for the Israelites. When you burnt that idol, don't grab the gold out of the fire pit. Leave it there. Don't look at it. Don't think about it. It's off limits. In fact, he says you should hate it. It should be disgusting in your eyes. Hate those things. Hate those habits, those disgusting, evil, despicable things that you do when you're in conflict and your passions get the best of you and you just start doing things that are not right. Hate them. They're displeasing to God. Hate them because they are so dangerous. They threaten to destroy all that we have worked so hard to accomplish together for the church and for us individually. Do you know your greatest weakness? Do you know what limits you need to set so that you don't even get close to your weakness? Are you guarding your heart? Our third principle this morning for when you are walking through the great unknown is you need to make sure, you need to make sure that you don't forget God because he changes everything. Don't forget him. Everything rides on God. The Israelites had experienced battle both with God and without God. When God was with them, it didn't matter how, how you know, outrageous the, advan- the advantage of the op- opponent, they won easily. When he was not with them, it didn't matter how many people they had on the field, the, the defeat was horrible. When God is with you, it doesn't matter how far things have become in terms of being ruined and destroyed, he is there to bring you a rescue. When God is with you, it doesn't matter how empty or poor you are. He will bring blessing into your life. When God is with you, it doesn't matter how much you have failed. There is always an endless sea of forgiveness and hope. You don't want to go anywhere, especially into the unknown, without God by your side. In the midst of your thoughts and fears and planning and joys, don't forget God. He changes everything. Here's what Moses essentially tells the people about walking with God, walking into the unknown with God. This is what he says, and this is important. Please listen. You don't get the blessings of God automatically. You don't get the blessings of God automatically. The blessings are tied to obedience. This is what he says. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. See... I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. 
The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the command I turn from the way I commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. He says, I'm offering you two options, blessing and curse. If you want to walk the blessing path, you get there by obeying God. Don't forget about him. Don't forget to obey him. So when you're at work and you're eating lunch with your coworker, don't forget about him. When you're in class and you're doing some schoolwork, it's kind of boring. Maybe it's interesting. Don't forget about him. When you have very little money left and you're eating canned beans and you, you feel sad about it, don't forget about him. When you've completed all the home improvement projects to your house and your house looks beautiful and you're just sitting on the porch and it's fall weather, you're just enjoying life, don't forget about him. His commands to live with integrity have application in whatever context you find yourself in. Ask yourself, not right now, but in the middle of your week, ask yourself, God, how should I obey you with where I am right now? He may say something to your spirit, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, you've got a lot in the Bible to work with, right? I have found that when I apply God's commands to my life, God himself, God himself, it becomes a part of my life. And here's what it's like for me. When I'm walking to the store and I see something that I really want, I look at it and I remind my soul that thing that I really want is not going to bring me happiness in life. And I, I think about that and I think, you know what? That's something God taught me to do. God in the Bible taught me about the power of contentment. And when I sit out on my porch and I enjoy the weather, I remember that God taught me to rest and not just work continuously. And because God taught me that, it's like God himself becomes a part of the experience. When I meet someone new, I, I remember there was a time when I didn't used to do this. And, uh, and I wasn't open to new relationships. But God said, this is a good thing. And... and he brought that into my life. God has become this fixture in my life as I do my best to obey him. Ask yourself, what does God want me to do in the situation I'm in right now? Do any of the commands in his Bible apply to my life right now? Do I sense in my spirit that he's asking me to do something right now? As you obey God, you will find blessing pouring into your life. It's not going to come all at once. Little by little, though, you will change and the blessings will flow. And I tell you these blessings, the ones that come from obedience, they are the stuff of true life. They are the things you're wanting deep down in your heart. You get there through the road of obedience. You're heading into a chapter of your life that you've never been in before. It's scary. It's exciting. You have no idea how to navigate this. You are hoping God's going to guide you, but you have your doubts. How do you walk forward into the great unknown? You do this. You first strengthen yourself on the memories of what God has already done among you. You tell some stories. Tell someone those stories. Remember that he's an amazing God. He can handle every fear you have about the, the next chapter. You need to know your biggest weaknesses. You need to know your biggest weakness personally. And I have suggested today that the biggest weakness for the church universal is that we struggle with this area of conflict. Set up some boundaries. Don't even get close to your weak spot. And guard your heart. Watch what you're wanting. And no matter what happens, because there's going to be good days and bad days, no matter what happens, don't 
forget God. He changes everything. And the journey you are on in life depends on his involvement. Without him, it gets all messed up. With him, it is loaded with blessings, but you only get those blessings to the extent to which you obey him. Would you stand?